0: Hello and welcome to Curious City. My name is Letty and I'm one of the co-founders of Curious Arts. This is a podcast all about encouraging people to get curious about what's going on creatively across the city. Um, I will be talking to a collection of individuals and organizations and companies that are making an impact and it's all about trying to encourage you to get off the sofa and get out into the world. Let's have a listen to who we're talking to today. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Curious City. Today I'm very pleased to say that I am with the poet, spoken word artist, theatre maker and leader of Genevieve Carver and the Unsung. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for joining us.
1: That's okay.
0: Right, I'm going to start off with that last bit. Can you explain to listeners who might not know, because I don't know, they're living on a different planet, um, what Genevieve Carver and the Unsung
1: is? Okay, so Genevieve Carvin, The Unsung, is me and my live band. It's um, me and three multi-instrumentalist musicians, uh, Tim Knowles, Brian Bestall and Ruth Nicholson. And together we create a spoken word accompanied by music, which usually takes the form of a show. Okay. So the latest show that we've written sits somewhere in between poetry, music and theatre so exciting
0: these different kind of genres coming together and how did you how did you start how did it how did it start happening
1: it started in about 2016 and i'd had an idea that i wanted to write a show all about people whose death was caused by music (laughs) (laughs) jolly (laughs) Um,
0: because i kept hearing these
1: stories about people the first story i heard was um about a violinist called Sandor Fea who was on the Costa Concordia cruise ship, which is the one that sank off the coast of Italy. And I heard this story on the news about how um, when the ship started to sink, he went back down into the bowels of the ship to get his violin. And for that reason, he... He died. He died. And I had all this stuff that I... Death uh, by music. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. (laughs) So I was like, I want to write a show about it and it's got to have music in it. So I just kind of... um, recruited for some musicians to help me with that and that was so did you know
0: that did you know these musicians or did you get to know one of
1: them sarah sharp who's no longer in the band i knew her because she was my flatmate and we started working on stuff together and then so many
0: good collaborations start off with uh, in the home yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then tim and brian just i think we met quite randomly and i think we actually met about something else completely (laughs) different and i ended up going yeah do you want to be in my band and they were like yeah okay um and that was the first show we made, which was called the Unsung, um, which is where the name came from.
0: Um, but what was it called? The un- I was. W- I wanted to ask you about the Unsung. So
1: two reasons, really. One of them because the point of that show was it was it was kind of dead musicians, but it wasn't like the famous dead musicians. So they it haven't
0: been able to sing what they were going to sing. And that's kind of our yeah.
1: whole remit is to represent kind of people whose stories you might not have heard otherwise. Um, so that's one side of it. And the other side of it is that I don't sing. <laughs> so ah, everybody so always thinks I'm going to because I'm in a band and because it's spoken word.
0: So you, you refuse to sing?
1: I have tried to sing once. <laughs>
0: <laughs> once was enough. Yeah. But you are musical though, aren't you? Because you, you, you play.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I do do some keyboards um, in the band and I do a little bit of um, coming up with, I've come up with a few melodies and things in terms of the creating of the music, but mostly that's—I leave most of that to the other three. Okay. Although everything's quite collaborative. We make most decisions together on what things are going to sound like and things like that.
0: Okay. And so that was the first show, and uh, you are about to go on tour with—is it s- well the second show?
1: It's the second show, and we're already on tour. Actually, oh. we had our first date in Birmingham on Birmingham. Sunday. Great. Um, so how we're on tour it? kind of sporadically. So I'll be back in Sheffield in between. But um, yeah, we had a first one in Birmingham. It went really well. Great. Um, and we've got one in Halifax on Friday. And then
0: we've got one in Sheffield on
1: the thirteenth. Thirteenth of March. Yeah. Thirteenth of March in commune. Commune. Can't yeah. wait for that.
0: Um, tell us a bit about that show. So how does it differ from the from the first one?
1: So the main difference in this show is that the people I'm writing about are alive. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I decided to focus on women in the music industry. Um, And it's called,
0: I don't know if we said, it's called A Beautiful Way to be Crazy.
1: Yes, it's called A Beautiful Way to be Crazy. And that is a quote from Delia Derbyshire, who's a very influential figure in of women in the music industry Who's yeah. one of my sort of inspirational role models <laughs> i researched the show by interviewing lots and lots of women working in different areas of the music industry musicians but also people who work in sound engineering or music producing and yeah all kinds of different areas a lot of them were sheffield based although not all of them um and again it wasn't really to try and target any specific famous musician or anything i just wanted to get an idea of what it was like for people who were just really living and breathing music in their day-to-day life so that was amateurs professionals um yeah just kind of
0: and did it did that research surprise you or did you kind of discover what you thought you might
1: i don't know what i was looking for really Mm. so i think it, it i guess it might surprise listeners to hear that it wasn't and this show isn't a kind of exercise in complaining about how terrible it is and how (laughs) much sexism there is there was definitely some of that but there was also some really positive stories that came out of it and one of the nicest thing was just finding all these pockets of communities of people kind of working together and hearing about how people have found their way to make their voice heard and things like that okay so it's sort of it's uplifting
0: it's an uplifting show. People aren't going to... Uh,
1: I think it is uplifting. Great. It's It's been described as a roller coaster.
0: Oh, I love those. Of
1: emotion. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some low points. But um, I think definitely Good. we end up. You on can't the have yeah. the highs
0: without the lows. We, we all know that. Um, and how does the collaborative process of, of working with within the band differ to your own solo work as, as a poet uh, or a spoken word artist?
1: it's different because i think the music plays as much a role in telling the story as the words yeah so anything that I, I do usually start with words i start with a concept and i'll have a draft poem essentially to bring to the band but that is always open to change once we start putting music to it okay so, so we so sort of mold and shape together,
0: each other yeah yeah um, and y- I'm, I'm just interested in this, which is probably a really annoying question, but you, you talk about, you, you define yourself as a, a spoken word artist and a poet. What, in your opinion, is the difference? Where do, Where is that boundary?
1: Yeah, it's something I've thought about a lot and something that I think is really difficult to Pinned answer. Down. I've yeah. just <laughs> got my first book out um this this is relevant so exciting. <laughs> I was, I was pack it up. Um at the moment with Verve Poetry Press and the subtitle of that book is Is A Beautiful Way to Be Crazy and Other Poems from the Stage, which we ummed and ard so much over whether to just put and other poems or poems from the stage and I decided to go with it because I think just in terms of my own writing, I do make that distinction when I'm writing something. You write to perform. I write pieces for performance and I write pieces for page. And I don't think everybody has to write like that. And I think there are definitely poems that work. I mean, the fact that I've published those poems in a book is also...
0: I don't think... No, (laughs) one (laughs) minds.
1: what you know, they must work on the page on some level.
0: You put a proviso that they have to stand up and read them aloud to their friends. Yeah. that's, That's fine. But for
1: me, it's just a different... I just put a different. I just, I don't know. I go to a different gear in my head. Mm,
0: It's just a a different, a
1: different way of writing. Yeah, I don't know if I've really explained that. You have no, definitely.
0: (laughs) Um, You talk about um, a second poetry collection, making noises in your head about getting finished. Can you? Do you feel that sort of? um, Do you feel that that your poetry and those those creative ideas take on a life of their own? You know, do you feel kind of? like you're being badgered by them if you're not pinning them down or or penning them?
1: Yeah, I think at the moment I feel very much like the more sort of success, if that's the right word. I think it is. Um, You are definitely the busiest (laughs) creative in Sheffield right now. But just I think with that can often come a lot more admin, a lot more marketing, a lot more things that are not creative actually and it becomes quite difficult to kind of find the time to just Prioritise. allow ideas to grow and ideas that you aren't being paid for or that aren't kind of attached to a specific project. So I think I always have this bit of my brain that's going, are you going to let me let me have out. these ideas? <laughs>
0: <Yes. Yeah. laughs> no, it's, it's difficult, I think, to strike the balance between creating and that whole uh, sort of self-promotion beast that is very difficult for a lot of creators because... I mean, how do you find it? Do you find it difficult to kind of shout about the work you're doing, or um, is that something you've just had to get over?
1: Yeah, I find it really, really difficult. Actually, I think if I could get rid of one job off my sort of to-do list, it would be social media. I would just delete the whole thing. Yes. If I could. Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm with you on that.
1: But it is just, you know, it's a job, and it needs doing, and I do care about my work, and I think... It's such a valuable Some tool people, to get it out there. Yeah, isn't it? I think it is just. I don't know. I'm still on the fence about this. I don't know if it is something that you have to do. I kind of li- don't like the idea that you have to do it. I feel like you should be allowed to opt out. But I'm not brave enough to do that no. yet.
0: No. No. <laughs> no. I think that's. I think most people would. That would resonate with a lot of people. Um, how you cite your inspirations? Or there's a there's a lot, but. I found two of them particularly interesting. Um, one of them is "imperfect, broken things." <laughs> did I write that? I did, <laughs> and I loved it. And I just wanted to ask you what you meant by that. Like, what, what sort of imperfect, broken things?
1: I think all sorts of imperfect, broken things. I think people, relationships, situations the music industry you know most things that are interesting to write about are are full of flaws yeah and I think we kind of living in a world where we're encouraged to present the perfect version of ourselves and that goes back to the social media thing like look at this thing I'm doing isn't it brilliant isn't it perfectly formed and often we don't see the bad side and we don't see the process and I think it's really important to... Show the scars. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's great. The other thing you say is finding the extraordinary in the ordinary.
1: Yeah, that's, so that's something I think is very much what we've tried to do with the unsung. Like I was saying before, finding extraordinary stories that are not necessarily um, famous names or kind of well-known
0: just because they're attached to a famous person
1: yeah but I think most people's lives so I interviewed all these musicians and maybe being a musician in itself is quite an extraordinary thing to be doing but every one of these people had such an interesting story to tell and it didn't have to be anything wildly outlandish but
0: It had a worth in itself.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think there's a worth in what I'm trying to say. I think everybody's got an interesting story to tell. I think that's what I mean by that. I agree.
0: I agree. Um, So this is a massively exciting year for you, because not only are you, you know, first book published, um, going on tour, been shortlisted for the Curious Short Story competition... I don't know why that wasn't top of your list. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, how do you juggle it all? How do you balance all of those different hats? Oh, you're also developing a show with Jess at Theatre Delhi. Yes. So, I uh, will talk a bit about that in a sec. Um, See, so yeah. So, how do you juggle all of those different projects?
1: Currently, I think I'm juggling them in quite an unsustainable way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which <I> involves <laughs> having no days off um but I have been thinking a lot about how to do that more sustainably, yeah, and um I, I think that I that is that <laughs> is
0: the problem isn't it with um with the creative freelance lifestyle because there is always something else you could do, there's no kind of clocking off time, there's no like tick, oh good, I'll get my paycheck, and when I ask about know what's the hardest thing about doing what you do and apart from the self-promotion and marketing side something you say is is that the inability to separate your self-worth from your work and the abil- inability to switch off so how do you do that and have you found that, I mean is your self-worth now sky high because y- you are being <laughs> successful or do you think you're just prone to possibly not Which way around is it? I
1: think I'm quite prone to low self-esteem and I'm quite guilty of being very self-critical and also quite like, I think something that makes me quite driven I was going to say, means that I get one thing and I go, well, that's not good enough. What's What's next? (laughs) next? (laughs) Which, you know, can get you places but also can be quite... If you had the option,
0: because I I think that is, again, quite a common trait of, of creatives. If you had the option to turn it off, so if you could just have like massive self-worth would you would you opt for it or do you think without it it might you might not be as driven and you might not achieve what
1: I you think want I would achieve? opt for it because I think you do get stuff done if you feel better about yourself. Yeah. I don't believe in the like tortured artist thing where you need to be in pain to make good work. I think that's quite a damaging sort oh, of yeah. trope and I think like if we did all work a bit harder to feel better about ourselves i don't think it would stop us getting stuff done no <laughs> just just
0: make it a bit nicer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i just i want to talk about uh, your the inspiration behind your work and it's come through in the, in the stuff that you've said here one of the other sort of quite general inspirations you've s- written is women and you also uh, reference specifically joni mitchell and I just wanted to ask you what impact your relationship to your own gender has on your work.
1: I think it's something that actually I've come to quite late in life. I only really started looking at when I was around 30. And I just feel like I was missing out on this massive part of understanding myself. Really? And having all these conversations with other women... I don't think your gender is the only thing at all that makes you who you are, but it was like this thing that I'd just not addressed until then. It and just I unlocked something, and yeah. you're like, "Oh, hang
0: on, that's
1: really interesting."
0: And what what do you think it was, um, as a result of just kind of turning thirty, or do you think it was the fact that society has has changed and asked you to ask these questions about your own gender and and the role of women in in specific? Professions or in society in general?
1: I think it's a bit of both. I think definitely the kind of big societal shift that's happening uh, has certainly impacted on me. And I I also think there is something that happens when you get a bit older, which was something that was reflected in a lot of the interviewees that I spoke to. A lot of them kind of spoke about having similar kind of epiphanies when they were sort of in their late 20s or around about that age. I don't know if also it might be to do with the fact that I grew up with three brothers so I was always kind of surrounded okay. by boys when I was younger <laughs> gosh <laughs> and that I must have
0: been <laughs> stressful
1: and I don't know if I sort of identified more as as a boy I always, and when I w- yeah and yeah. I think when I was younger I always used to be like yeah I'm one of the lads and
0: and that's what you yeah wanted to be yeah. in the gang yeah it's just kind of packed not so. pack mentality that sounds aggressive but <laughs> just wanting to belong yeah yeah then so, what's your relationship with your brothers like now?
1: great yeah it's not to say anything wrong about them no i mean when we were younger we used to fight a lot but we get on really well now and they're really supportive of. are they in there are they creative yeah my little brother is a designer for the theater set designer handy yeah it would be handy (laughs) if he wasn't in london yes but um bloody london the other two, one's a doctor and one works in international politics, so... Gosh!
0: Highbrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when when did it all start for you, and, and how, like, when did you discover writing, or did the music come first, or w- was it, wh- what was your way in?
1: I learnt to play the piano when I was quite young, but I didn't really consider it to be something I would ever pursue. And I still don't, I'm still quite uncomfortable with the idea of being considered a musician because I don't think I'm really... I've never really kind of followed it through to any higher level. Like, everyone else in my band is, like, they're proper musicians. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like,
0: well, if you, if you write and perform music, you're a musician.
1: Writing-wise, I had always been a bedroom poet. Um, I
0: like that term.
1: <laughs> but would not have ever dreamed of doing it publicly. So and what was the shift? Well, what was I, the I moved to Sheffield. And again, I think it was something I came to quite late. I was probably in my mid-twenties and I'd just moved to Sheffield to do a master's in archaeology, which was Gosh. what I was doing at the time. And I got to know some of the people involved in kind of word life yeah. and also a guy called Gav Roberts who has a night called Romp in Rotherham, yeah. Rotherham Open Mic Performance. Um, I just got to know them, and I remember speaking to them, and they were like, oh, yeah, we're poets. And I just thought, well, oh. that's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> you can't be a poet. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> and I was like, I'm a poet, but, you know, I don't tell anyone that. And yeah. um, This is not the 16th century. <laughs> yeah, and Gav kind of was like, why don't you come and do a poem at an open mic? And I didn't know that that happened. I knew you could have a music open mic, but I didn't know people actually went and... Sat round poetry. in a pub and read poetry to each other. So I remember going along and eventually being convinced to read something, and just kind of started to do it more and more and more. And mm-hmm. then it
0: got the bug. Yeah, just took over really. Gosh. So I was gonna that sort of ties in quite nicely with um, with the question that I, my next question, which was, what impact do you think living in Sheffield has had on your career? Sounds to me like it's pretty, yeah, pretty significant. Yeah,
1: a really huge impact. I think I went to uni in London.
0: Where, r- where are you from originally? I'm from
1: York originally. Okay. And then I moved from York to London to study. And... When I was in London, I feel like I knew a lot of people that went around saying they were writers and artists. And yes, and you stuff, do get that a lot in London. I don't think anybody was actually doing it. It didn't feel like anyone was actually doing it. No, anything. they're just swanning about in Soho, <laughs> complaining.
0: <laughs> no offense, London. I love okay. you. I lived there for 10 years. And I, I was born there. Sorry. Sorry. This is not. And a partly
1: maybe that's because mm. I was very young and we were all a bit pretentious and.
0: I think it's what, you know, you just like that that title, don't you? It feels quite a nice thing to say.
1: But I moved to Sheffield and it felt like there were all these people just doing stuff and not calling themselves anything, you know. It just Just felt very... Yeah, and it felt very easy to connect and collaborate. And, yeah, I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't moved here. Gosh. So we've got Sheffield to thank. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> thank you Sheffield. My book is actually dedicated to Sheffield. Is it? Yeah. That's, I couldn't think, think of it. who to dedicate it to, so <laughs> I just thought I'm going to dedicate That's it to amazing. Sheffield. That's um, amazing. Is it,
0: uh, has it's been, it's out, it's out? yeah. Well, wha- where can we buy
1: it? Um, Currently you can buy it from me. Oh yeah. But I think it should be appearing in bookshops.
0: You should sell it in as the well. biblioteca Yeah, should go and speak to them actually. Yeah. Drop in after this.
1: Yeah. Um, so one of the. Or things you can buy it from the Verve Poetry Press website. Also. Okay. Should probably mention that. Good,
0: good tip off. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting what you say about the live music venues in Sheffield and that there there's a hint of, of them struggling a little bit. So, I mean, why do you think that is, and what do you think we can do about it?
1: I don't know if it's individuals or if it's the council or who is ultimately responsible, but I think it's quite hard for live music venues to to survive. survive. I think there's a mentality in kind of people, people don't want to pay to go to a gig, but they'll very happily pay (coughs) £10 for like smashed avocado on toast. You know, it feels like. It's weird, isn't it? It feels like it's expensive to pay £10 to go to a gig, but it's not expensive to pay £10 for, like, a cocktail. We
0: do find that here, if we chuck in a a free drink or if there's some food element to an event, people
1: Mm. just flock.
0: Because it's like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll pay to put something in my gob. Yeah, it (laughs) feels like there's this consumerist
1: kind of mentality that's being pushed and pushed. And there isn't, you know, it's like the idea that you can have you can be fed you can be nourished more uh wholly by actually engaging with someone doing a performance but that you don't have anything to take away you don't have an object you can't be sold
0: it's not a tangible thing
1: yeah and i think in like the capitalist society that we live in that's not it doesn't fit as well yeah
0: well it's naughty (laughs) um we're gonna be having live music (laughs) converting the space next door so hopefully we'll be okay we'll try it. we'll, tr- we'll do our best will you come and perform when we've, when yes. we've got it ready <laughs> good um now another very intriguing you you did write a very intriguing questionnaire you, you should be a writer um very intrigued by the answer to the question what makes you happy and there are a few things on there
1: i really can't remember what i put
0: well the one that intrigued me was moving on Which also slightly made me slightly nervous because (laughs) are you going to suddenly leave Sheffield? You've dedicated the book and now you're going to get in your van and (laughs) move somewhere else because you do say that, you know, at your heart you're a nomad.
1: Yeah, it is a bit of a dichotomy because I have actually been in Sheffield for about 12 years Mm. now. Um, And that's definitely the longest I've ever, you know, voluntarily stayed anywhere. So. Yeah I think there is a strange kind of
0: yearning to move on but maybe a bit of that is quenched quenched is that Uh, the right word quenched um by the touring aspect of yeah I think
1: the fact that what I do is so um all over the place and no day is the same definitely helps and the fact that my work takes me to quite a lot of different places yeah yeah sometimes it's naturally nice to have a it's your sanctuary, your your home is is your favourite place. Yeah, I've place s- jacket, said some really strange things that don't add up. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> it's good. You're, you know, you've got to keep people guessing.
0: That's the, that's the key. Um, I want to hear a little bit about um the new show that you're developing with Jess Gibson. Yes, who's coming to talk to us, I believe, soon. So that. Yeah, you can go first, and then we'll compare notes. And I we'll, feel we'll as though see. she
1: should be talking about this before me, but, um, yeah, it's really—it's a really fun project. Um, I think we both had a similar kind of realisation in that we've both written shows which have ended up being quite autobiographical and have ended up being, you know, quite a lot of work <laughs> in terms of, like, the promotion and the logistics and all of that stuff, and just feeling like, wow, oh, this has been quite hard work kind of emotionally and, and mentally and all that kind of thing and wouldn't it be nice if this was somehow shared and people kept saying to us as well like oh have you people kept saying to me have you seen jess gibson's work because i think everyone is reminded yeah by the one of us of the other one's work so i was kind of really keen to meet Who him and then i jess Gibson yeah <laughs> well at first i was a bit like work. that i was like oh she?" and then <laughs> i met <laughs> her and i was like oh great yeah and we got on really well and so we decided to do this well, she was looking for someone to collaborate with on a new project, so she wasn't, again, just kind of the sole um maker. Um And I was like, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing I'm looking for now as well. And we, she put in a lot of work and put together an arts council bid and got the money, which is great. And so far we've had one residency over in Leeds at Slunglow Theatre where we just spent a week kind of brainstorming ideas and chucking stuff out there and it was absolutely brilliant it was such it was so good to go right back to the beginning and just be in that creative space where anything can happen and we really bounced off each other really well and felt like a very kind of safe and fun environment to be and we had such a laugh We were like in absolute hysterics (laughs) about half the time we were there, which felt really refreshing. Because I was like, oh yeah, it is is fun fun. making stuff.
0: And I think that's something that is forgotten with the drudgery of the freelance existence sometimes. You're like, I feel the pressure to to make the work and and make it good and make it in as quick time as possible. But actually, when you allow that time and space for it to breathe, I think that's when... The best things happen
1: it's a really nice project because we haven't put any pressure on ourselves to finish it by it We've got a, a showing in May, which I think might be on the seventeenth of May, but it'll just be a showing of whatever we've got it's at, at delhi? that point it's at theater delhi yeah Brilliant. Um, and you know we're not we don't expect to have a finished show and so this whole phase is just about seeing what we get and whether any of the ideas have legs and then we'll take it forward from there if if we want to and if we don't want to we we don't have to (laughs) and that's how it should be (laughs)
0: um now I just wanted to because you you finally just gonna leave us on some shout outs to organizations or creatives across the city that have had an impact on you either personally or professionally um that you just want to say hello to or thank you to or just just give a little mention, so that people can check them out and find out what they're doing.
1: How many am I allowed? loads okay <laughs> well, I'd like to give a shout out to Opus, who yes, people probably know now then magazine you've probably seen that around, and they've got the festival of debate coming up, which is across millions of venues yeah. and they've been Inclu- they were including
0: this one may might I add
1: Yes, <laughs> and um, yeah, as I was saying earlier like. Some of those guys were the first people I met when I came to Sheffield and kind of really sort of made me realise this whole world of kind of DIY arts see people existed. <laughs> um, and I've worked for them on and off as well. And they've just always been really supportive of what I do and they do a lot of great stuff yeah. as well. So there's them. Um, and they always
0: seem to be moving forward. They never just go like, OK, well, we've done that now. Tick. They, or they're like, right, what's next? What else can we do? How else can we what else can we bring to the city? Yeah. Um, which I think's really inspiring.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're doing really well. Um Theatre Daly I think uh been yeah. really supportive. They're helping us out with this project that I'm doing with Jess and just generally I think again they've really grown since they kind of first appeared on the Moor one of real
0: diverse and eclectic programming yeah. going on there. Yeah, <coughs> definitely.
1: In terms of individuals, I wanted to give a shout-out to Kira Craig and Lucy Huzzard, who are going to be our support acts okay, for amazing. the She Fest performance here at Commune.
0: On the 13th of March. On the of
1: 13th of March. March. <laughs> um, Kira Craig is going to be the next big thing. She's 14 years old. Oh, my God. And she's an absolutely incredible singer-songwriter. And we just really want to... Th- that's kind of a part of what this whole project was meant to be about, giving a platform to kind of younger female performers and kind of shouting about them S- and um, Lucy Hussard is an amazing folk melodian player oh, wow. and singer and all her songs are about uh, women throughout history who again it's a very similar thing when I saw her stuff I was like oh my god this is like the kind of thing we do but she has a lot of songs about women in history that have been forgotten or their stories haven't been told right and things like that so yeah shout out to both of them. Great.
0: Genevieve Carver, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, If you do want to come and see the Genevieve Carver and the Unsung, which I strongly recommend, um, you can get tickets for the 13th of March at Commune uh, from our website, www.curious.art, or the SheFest website. Um, Genevieve, how do they find out more about the Unsung in general and you personally?
1: Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Unsung Poetry, or you can go to my very out of date website, genevievecarver.com.
0: Good, so any web developers out there, get in touch. Um, and we can't finish without listening to some of your work. Um, and this is a collaboration that goes beyond The Unsung, so do you want to introduce what we're about to listen to?
1: Yeah, so we've recorded a single from the show, from A Beautiful Way to Be Crazy, but we've brought in a whole load of extra collaborators. Lovely. Um We've worked with Before Breakfast, who probably a lot of Sheffield people will know, yeah. who are a brilliant um, indie pop band. I don't think that really does them justice, uh, describing them like that, but they've got beautiful voices and... Um, they're singing on the track and Lucy's also playing cello we've got another violinist called Morvan Bryce and a harp player oh, wow. called Manon McCoy um, it's a Joni Mitchell inspired kind of folky lullaby track and um, yeah they've done a really good job of making it sound great so. and what's it called it's called Little Green right thank you oh can I say one more oh thing <laughs> And we're selling the single on our band camp page and all money that we raise from selling the single is being donated to Refuge Domestic Violence Charity. Okay,
0: that was was worth the, the interruption, I'd say. Brilliant. Here it is.
1: Lullabies are not really my thing. I find it kind of hard to look small children in the eyes. You may be all innocence and hope now, but sooner or later you're going to find out about the world you've been born into, and for that I can only apologise. I'm not really sure where to start, so I guess I'll start with Joni Mitchell. I've always found her voice to ring kind of true. So Joni had a little girl, like you, but she had to give her up. Well, no, yeah, I'm sure she did love her, but it was more complicated than that. You see, she wrote this song, Little Green. No, don't cry. I'm trying to explain. There's a thing called organised religion, which makes some people act very unfairly sometimes, and there's this thing called money, which you sort of need if you know don't cry. Please don't cry. Lullabies don't come naturally to me. But if I was going to sing you one, I'd sing you Joni Mitchell's little green. Lullaby. They're supposed to be calming, aren't they, to help you feel at ease So perhaps I should tell you that there's nothing you need to worry about right now Forget about what I said about money and organised religion Just look at the little felt stars dangling above your cot, that's better Just try to focus on the beauty of the moment Because much sooner than you think you're going to wake up one day To find your body is decaying and your mind is haunted by regrets And you're having to make some serious redacts to your body bucket list. No, wait, forget that. Don't cry because I know that somewhere out there There's a parallel universe And parallel me is kneeling by your bedside Reading you the poems of Shakespeare's sister Her verses are spiralling elegantly from my mouth Flitting round the cradle like moths to a candle And in that cradle there's a little parallel you Who will grow up to have a room of her own And her destiny will not be coded into the figure in her father's bank account Oh, it's uh, a place where people put money So that people with more money can use it to make more money From the people with less money Oh, well, uh, in and of itself, it doesn't really do anything, but you can use it to make stuff happen. Sometimes it's invisible, and sometimes it's made of paper. The best type is called dollars, and it's green, like the song. trying to say was, Joanie had a lot of unseen pressure on her from this thing called society, it's, well never mind, well you know, like the idea that every woman is either a mother, a potential mother or a failed mother, I'd just like you to know that you don't have to grow up to be any of those, no there's nothing wrong with it, it's just that people don't always see men like that the only purpose of humans is to make more humans then what exactly is the purpose of making more humans? I mean, we've already spread across the entire planet like a plague, wiping out tigers and dolphins and rainforests and ice floes with every bit of plastic ever made piling up in our wake, torturing and raping and enslaving each other, only stopping to send hateful tweets to minor celebrities about the cellulite in their thighs, greedy fingers poised on big red buttons like some grotesque game of nuclear chicken. I'm just saying that more humans is not necessarily the best idea, you know? No, of course, I'm glad you were born. I'm sorry if this isn't helping you sleep. I told you I was never any good at lullabies.
0: a Curious Arts production.